Welcome back to the Unstressable Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a series of amazing conversations with incredible people talking about what makes them unstressable from some of life's greatest challenges and the greatest stresses and losses they've had to overcome and how they came back from them so that you can become unstressable through yours. Today's episode, I'm joined by the incredible Michelle Bowling. Michelle is a certified transformational coach with a master's in transpersonal psychology. She's also an energy therapist, an advanced soul realignment practitioner, and she has founded a company that is dedicated to helping others thrive in their full potential through holistic healing, personal and spiritual development. Her work is truly amazing and I've done some of it myself and I can't really explain it except to bring her on the show and have you listen to her teachings and talk about her incredible story. Her story is truly inspiring and is just quite mind-blowing. I'd also like to give a trigger warning for anyone who is suffering or has been through um, domestic, physical, sexual abuse. Um, please just be warned and aware that this episode might be triggering for you, but it also might be incredibly inspiring and helpful too. So for everyone listening, I hope you enjoy and let me know what you think. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. For those of you that don't know Michelle's work, I've personally worked with her myself on some things, something that we'll actually be discussing one topic on later today, so I won't spoil it. And she's amazing and is over in California, so I'm so excited to have her here on the show today to talk a lot of in-depth spiritual teachings and thoughts and methods, and it's going to be fun. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So you. you are someone obviously who, you know, you do a lot of deep spiritual work with people in many ways and energy mm-hmm. modalities and all sorts of healing, mm-hmm. which I have, as I've said, I've done, I've done some with you and I can vouch for how incredible they are and how unique because I haven't actually come across the same kind of work that you do, not in mm-hmm. the UK anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's so powerful. So I wanted, like I said, to dedicate this episode to spirituality and all that kind of stuff. But I'd love to first ask you, you know, how did you come to do the incredible work that you now do, which we will explain a bit more later about, but what was that, you know, process and journey for you? I kind of fell into it, to be honest with you, or it found me because if I go back, like even 15 years ago, I would have never seen myself doing what I'm doing now. Um, But it really came through my own spiritual awakening. It came through my own deep healing process. And I had a lot of stuff to heal in my life. I had a lot of um, abuse, um, childhood abuse, uh, sexual abuse, ended up in an abusive relationship. And um, in my early 30s, found myself in a life and death situation with a man I had originally thought I was going to marry. It's like one day things just shifted and he became very abusive and it took me a year to get out of the relationship. But that year was a catalyst for my healing journey, for my spiritual awakening. My spiritual awakening actually happened in the darkest moments of that 
um, year of trying to get out. That's when I had my spiritual awakening. And when I got out, I really made a decision. I'm going to heal my life. Like I'm sick of living in abusive patterns, being in abusive relationships, feeling um, disempowered. And so I made a really conscious choice that I'm going all in to heal my life, these patterns, these um, things that I felt I just did not want to keep recreating the past. And so it was kind of this long winding journey. Um, it was in that year when I was trying to get out that I first started experimenting with energy. I actually learned, honestly, it was learning how to work with energy that saved my life. Um, I really accredit it to me being able to escape that relationship. This was a man that told me every day he was going to kill me. And I believed him. He was not going to let me out. And, you know, I had some divine intervention for sure come in through different people, new friends that I had just met. Somebody sent me a book, um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That book was like my anchor, right? Um, And another new friend had said to me, you know, why don't you try to anchor yourself in an energy of love and compassion, which felt like, how do I do that, right? Because I'm literally traumatized on a daily basis. And every time I would notice, every time I would go into despair and fear and anger and rage or have any kind of emotional reaction to the abuse, I started to notice how that fed my abuser. And so I, I decided I'm going to experiment. And so I heard my friend's words, my friend Amy's words were in my mind saying, try to anchor yourself in love and compassion. So I'm, as, as I'm being like verbally and emotionally, physically abused, I would sink deep into myself. And I would say to myself, he has demons. This is not about me. I will not hate this person. I will not hate this person. I will not go into hate. How do I have empathy? How do I have love? How do I have compassion? And that was just my prayer. And basically I stopped reacting. And the more I sat with, how can I be in love and compassion and empathy? I stopped feeding him energetically. He stopped getting the reaction. I could neutralize my own energy And it was amazing to see he didn't know what to do with that. And he started kind of like, I can't tell you the miracles that happened after that, but all of a sudden I had influence over him. One of the things that really kept me stuck for so long is that we owned a home together and I didn't have, I needed to sell that home to be able to leave. And I knew I needed to leave the state. Like I knew I needed a lot of distance from this person because when you've been told every day for nine months, you're, I'm going to kill you. You, you believe that person. And miraculously, all of a sudden I had influence and I actually got him to sign over power of attorney to me. And he went away for the weekend and I put a for sale by owner sign in the front yard. I put out an ad. I sold the house that weekend. 
I had like multiple offers. I did it all on my own, like without a realtor. And he came back and he said, and I said, I made you like $50,000. I sold the house and I had already had power of attorney. I did the whole thing without him. Oh my God. But I stopped feeding him. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. If I can shift my energy, I can shift the energy of a relationship dynamic. I can shift the energy of my environment, right? But that had to start within me. And so that was, I was like, okay, I want to learn more. And so when I finally did escape and I moved to another state and I started my life over again, the first healer I found to work with was a practitioner of energy psychology. And I remember sitting in a one hour session with her and I felt like I accomplished more than I did in 10 years of talk therapy. And I was just hooked. And then, you know, I worked with her for years. So that's how I kind of entered into learning about energy and exploring that as a healing modality and seeing how powerful it was. I mean, that's just such an amazingly powerful you know, story and experience that you had to go through that obviously was so, so difficult and that you turned into something that has essentially been the catalyst for the beauty of the rest of your life, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. I mean, how obviously when you were in that abusive relationship, how did you manage to, in that first bridging moment, say, to go from extreme fear of thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. this person is going to kill me. My fear is so heightened how did you manage to have that first like grounding moment of anchoring into what you said? Because that must have been such a tricky first thing to do. It was, but I was so desperate. I would try anything. You get to these moments where what have you got to lose? There's nothing to lose. Now, I was getting a lot, you know, I was seeing a therapist every week. I was working with um the domestic violence shelter. I had an escape plan. I was also taking action in places where I had power. Slept with a knife under my pillow. Like I had already filed, you know, gone through the process, initial stages of filing a restraining order and hadn't pulled the plug on that yet because I hadn't pulled the trigger on that yet because I was, I had a lot of fear that it wouldn't stop him. It would only make things worse. But I had these things, I was taking action in the other ways, so I had a backup plan. But in the moment, you're so, I I, I just was so desperate. I was like, what have I got to lose? Let's just try. And I couldn't do it by focusing on him. I had to get deep into my heart. And now I will tell you around this same time, is when I had my spiritual awakening. So that was also, I think, part of the process. Um, and that happened really in just in the days before I started trying something new. So this awakening happened. It was one night he, he locked me in. I was living in the spare bedroom. And he had come in. I was getting ready to go to bed. And he had come in. And he locked me in that room all night long and tortured me wouldn't let me out. And at one point, hours into this, I left my body. And I'm like, I'm like up in the my, my soul, my energy is up in the corner of the room looking down on the scene. And I see my body and I'm just curled up in a ball. 
and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it. Like, this is, this is the time. Like, I, I think I'm gonna die. I think this is, this is when, you know, it happens. And then I realized, like, I'm at a crossroads. I'm either going to leave this life or I'm gonna, I'm gonna survive it, but I need a sign. And I was kind of praying, I need a sign because I couldn't see, I couldn't see any way out. And, um, and I was going to get emotional. This was at such a turning point in my life. And I'm, I'm looking down on the scene and I see my body. And all of a sudden I see this little light. I see this little light in my heart, like a little flame. And it was like this beacon calling me back into my body. And without any thought whatsoever, I reached down and I grabbed that light and I just anchored myself in there. And I knew in that moment, there's a reason I'm here. That light was calling me back. It wasn't my time. And so when I would um, try to anchor in love and compassion, I went deep and tried to just hold on to that light I saw in my heart. And it was just like a little itty bitty flame, but I was like, I'm supposed to grow that. Like it was just this deep knowing. And so I would connect to that light every day and just sink deep in and started to look at him as, wow, this is somebody with a lot of demons. And I started to feel bad for him. I started to have, I guess, pity. I couldn't, empathy was, was harder to get to initially, but I started, I could get to pity and I could see the tortured soul that he was. And so I just held on to that light with everything I had and just tried to stay connected there. God, I mean, that's just, that gave me chills and almost made me cry you saying that because yeah. that's just such a haunting image, but also yeah. such a, you know, paradoxical, beautiful one at the same time. I mean, do you believe that that flicker, that divine light lives within every single heart? I do. I do. And I've come to learn that this is the heart is where we connect to the soul. The soul, I see the soul is, you know, like a seed that's been planted and my seed cracked open. And that was the light. That was the small light that I was seeing. It was cracking. And just like when a seed cracks under the soil, it has to go through all of this effort and darkness and like it's got to claw its way up right and so I think see the soul is like a seed that cracks open when we have an awakening and it's implant it's in all of us and and we do tap into it through the heart and you know there's a journey of kind of blossoming and unfolding that happens as the soul kind of starts to come forward and I think part of this process of spiritual growth and evolution is that the soul is seeking to take the lead in our lives. And we have these moments, these awakenings. And, I, and you know, that was the first. I think that there's many because there's always another layer. And with each new awakening, there's new gifts that come online, new power that comes online, um, a deeper sense of like what I call soul worth and soul esteem. So it's like that light just grows and grows and grows and grows. The more we are committed to doing the work, right? That doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Like you have to do the work. <laughs> that continues. We'll talk about, 
But I mean, I love that. And I think that I find that to be totally true myself in the way that you said multiple awakenings. When I think about, say, my first sort of push onto a spiritual awakening was just when my sister was diagnosed with cancer around that time. But the multiple different larger ones that have happened since then, it's, you know, I can't, you know, argue with that either. So how do you define, how do you define, define a spiritual awakening for those listening? A spiritual awakening, it's, you know, it's like you talked about, like with your sister. Um, I think what most people don't understand is we like, we like the bypass. Okay. We want to have, we want to feel good. So we want the spiritual bypass, but a spiritual awakening, I think is there's always an element of loss involved loss of something that doesn't work anymore. Like once you awaken to something, it's bringing to light something that's in the shadow. It's bringing, you know, the very definition of enlightenment is making the darkness, bringing light to the darkness. So it's also bringing light into the darkness within us, the things that we don't want to look at within our lives or the things that we've been running away from, like trauma or old emotional stuff that we don't want to deal with or even habits or patterns or limitations in us that we don't like or want to even own. So I actually feel like awakening is, yes, there's this light that shows up. There's an aha there's, we see a potential, we see something coming online, but in order to fully step into that, there's this process of shadow work, inner work, healing work that has to happen to fully embody that. So it's not all love and light and rainbows and unicorns. It's (laughs) actually messy and sometimes challenging. And I, but that's where the greatest growth happens and learning how to hold space for all of it because it's all part of the experience right I totally agree I mean I think that's what the main problem that a lot of people find in their lives is they're not willing to hold space for that messiness because we would so much rather push away our pain and just increase our suffering instead than just face it but I mean real messiness as well I'd love to discuss with you because people talk about the concept obviously of the dark night of the soul and that's mm-hmm. a spiritual concept that you hear about and a lot of people listening might not even know what that is but mm-hmm. I'd love to discuss that with you because that is real mess. <laughs> yes um, you know it's I forget um, the name uh, the person that coined that name but um, when I was kind of going through my own dark night experiences I started studying the dark night of the soul and I'd heard about it and then later I came to realize that it's actually not the dark night of the soul. They say it's, the, they call it the dark night of the soul because when you're in that messiness, you feel so disconnected from that light that you awaken to. You feel so disconnected from your soul, from your purpose, your, who am I? You're kind of in this identity crisis. You're so in the mess. You can't see or feel the thing that woke you up like that light. But um, it's actually the dark night of the mind. It's the dark night of the ego. It's the dark night of the wounded self. It's the dark night of all of the things that need to be broken down, neutralized, dismantled, let go of, so that you can fully step into the soul for 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 that soul to continue to blossom and for those gifts to come online, for that light to grow in you. And so um, 
you know, that I actually call it like more of the dark night of the mind, the dark night of the ego. I think we're actually kind of collectively in one. I think the pandemic was a catalyst for that, honestly. And what happens in the collective happens in all of us. But the the process of that is, you know, to I you I, I often use um compare the spiritual journey to like you're climbing a mountain, but you're not taking a straight path up. You're circumambulating the mountain, walking all the way around it over and over and over again, but each time at a higher elevation. So as you circumambulate that mountain, you keep coming across the same issues, but you're at a higher elevation, you're at a higher perspective, right? There's always like another layer. There's um, of something that needs to be addressed, right? Uh, I don't think that it's like some destination you just get there and you're done it's a continual process right but the dark night experience is actually meant to serve us and you said something about people like resisting like the stuff that they don't want to deal with I have learned and trust me I resisted my dark night experience and that just drags it out longer it makes it more painful it it drags it out and um, you could end up spending years there. So I always encourage people, like when you're in this messy process where it feels like things are falling apart in your life and things are breaking down, the question to sit with is like, what do I need to let go of to step into my next level of potential? This is and approaching it from that aspect of how is this, how can this help me? How can this serve me? Like, because if you're willing to engage with the process proactively, the breakdown part is like you have to let go. You have to dismantle things that are no longer working. And you might not understand now why, but it's the very issues that get triggered in your life, right? In that messy process when things are falling apart. What are the key issues getting triggered in your life? Um, and you might not understand why, but if they're getting triggered, there's work to do around them. There's some healing that has to happen, or there's some way in which that's not serving you anymore. And it's in the way of where you're supposed to go, where your soul wants to take you, right? And if you're willing to let those things go and dismantle, it opens the doorway for um, in my experience, greater gifts to come online, the more I've been willing to let go of like wounded ego patterns and like the perfectionist and the people pleaser and the rescuer and all of these kind of patterns that I had were coping strategies I learned, you know, growing up, the greater my gifts came online. The more I was willing to let go of things that didn't serve me, more power came online. Right? More intuition came online. More guidance came online. But you got to be willing to let go. And you're not going to see what's going to come online. You just got to trust in the process. I love that you say um, where your soul leads you to, because I'm such a huge believer in that, that our soul is always trying to lead us to our greatest potential and our greatest life, essentially. But like you say, our ego, our mind, our fears, that's what stops us from that happening. That's what gets in the way of this. And, you know, I truly feel like my soul has led me to where I am now, doing all the work that I do and what I do. And like you say, it's kind of come online continually in different ways from emotional crises and different losses and, you know, like, like an ever-evolving process, like you say. So I find that 
So interesting. What would you say is then an initiation in comparison to that? Is that the different thing, a sort of spiritual initiation that people talk about? Yeah, I definitely feel like I went through an initiation process. And I think some souls, from my kind of my understanding of soul contracts, soul journeys, like we definitely, some souls are go through an initiation process. I would say that those are more the wounded healers, the shamans, the spiritual teachers, the people that have a contract to bring certain gifts online, the light workers. Um, you know, everyone thinks like being a light worker is this beautiful thing. It's actually like you're drawn into the darkness because that's where the light is needed. Right. And there's an initiation process that happens with that. Um, I remember very distinctly my own initiation process and understanding it was actually uh, having a dream that helped me to understand that that's what was happening. Um, So for me, that was how to distinguish the difference. Um, That's hard to put into words. Uh, For me, it was just a deeper knowing. I will tell you that, you know, after I left this relationship, I spent years healing, years, and through that process, I really came to understand that I was, I wanted to do healing work with others, like my soul, that's the first gift that came online was, I'm actually a healer, I'm supposed to, I was in the wrong career, and I'm actually a healer, Uh, so that just came as like this desire, but I didn't know what that looked like, Um, I started, you know, taking action down that path. It's like, I always say, you don't get the whole vision, you get the next step. And so can you just trust and take that next step? And my next step was go to massage school. But I always knew when I was in massage school, I'm like, I'm not going to do this full time. I don't know why I'm here, but I love it. I love learning about the body and healing and all of those things. And when I finally made a career change, I left the corporate world after 15 years. I, I knew my next step was go to grad school. So I was starting graduate school and was get, went on to get my master's in psychology. So I studied the body and I went and studied the mind. And I'd always been fascinated by the body-mind connection. I still didn't know what the next step would be. You just, or like what the whole vision would be. You just, like I said, get the next step. But um, what really kind of, I had this experience of the rug kind of being pulled out from underneath me. I spent years planning this career change. And um, six weeks after I left my corporate job, and the first week I started grad school, I was like, okay, I've done so much healing, I'm going to start this new chapter, this new path, it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. Six weeks after I leave, first week of grad school, I get hit with a massive health crisis, a debilitating health crisis, a disabling health crisis. And I couldn't help but go into what, why I've done so much work. Like the, why me, the victim, just consciousness was so online and it was another life and death crossroads. And so I think part of the initiation in my experience, and I've had a few of these, like these experiences where you bump up against death and you know, I was, my doctor, I'm 
it took me a long time to find the right specialist to work with. And he basically said, you got a 50-50 chance. You're at a crossroads. Again, I'm at another crossroads. He's like, you've got to throw everything at this or you might not survive or you'll be on permanent disability. I had like so many, I had like five different infections in my body. I had no immune system. My tissues were breaking down. Like, and, and I realized, oh, this is, you know, later I realized, oh, that was the start of the initiation. Right. And um, it was very hard. I could barely get out of bed. And I was so frustrated and so angry because I just done like six years of nonstop healing work after this abusive relationship. And I'm finally like on the right path, on my soul's path. And often people think like, well, if it's aligned with your soul, it's going to be easy. And then boom, it's like getting smacked in the face. And, you know, he said, my doctor also said, if you heal this, it's going to take years. It's going to take at least two, if not three years. And so in that process, I put everything into it. I had made that commitment when I had that out-of-body experience. I made that commitment, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw everything into this life. And so I lost all of my money. I literally spent my entire life savings. I spent years saving to be able to make this career change. None of my treatments were covered by insurance. I lost all of my money. I ended up um, living on a friend's couch because like having to move in with a friend because I couldn't afford rent anymore. Um, Live like living on credit cards to feed myself. Um, And I really got into a dark place. This was like the darkest dark night I had. Um, And I was really confronting all of the things that weren't working in my life. And I didn't understand why all of this was happening. But in in the middle of this dark experience, I had this very powerful dream. And in the dream, my soul is on the other side. And I'm with one of my guides. And, you know, he's, we're like swinging on this swing set, which was really weird. (laughs) And, And we're having this conversation. And I'm like, I just don't understand why. And he's like, you need to remember remember, remember. And I'm like, remember what? He's like, you asked for this. You said, send me back. I want to heal. You asked for this. So don't complain about it now. And I was like, oh, I did. And I had this memory in the dream of of dying in my last life. And going, crossing over and going, no, you got to send me back. I've got healing work to do. And so I woke up from this dream and everything in me was like, my soul chose this. Stop complaining. This is my initiation. And I didn't, and I just knew it. I just knew there was something else that was going to come online. And I mean, that has eventually led into now doing like past life work with people and working with people's souls and karmic patterns. And, you know, that started by understanding my own past lives and my own karmic patterns and the energy that comes from the, like that the soul carries with it lifetime after lifetime, as well as like genetic and, you know, ancestral trauma, genetic trauma, all of these things, like, 
So that was an initiation into doing more spiritual work, not just like bringing the spiritual and the healing together. Mm. I love so. that. I find all that kind of stuff so fascinating. I mean, I actually haven't told you I'm doing my Akashic certification at the moment and I love oh. all past lives stuff. I think it's so interesting for those that are listening. You know, you might not be a believer in past lives or, you know, you might have a different thought, but I always urge people to just, open their mind to the possibility of it because we are all human which means we can't possibly know everything so just have an open mind to to that idea and I don't know about you when it comes to past lives I mean I've obviously which I'd love to talk to you about next what we did mm -hmm. together you know soul yeah. realignment discusses that kind of thing which we'll discuss but I feel like when I meet someone who I've known a soul in a past life it is so instant that there's just no arguing a recognition. feeling of home yeah it's mm -hmm. it's it's crazy and I'm sure if you're if you're listening to this and you've had that moment with someone where you go I feel like I've known you forever because mm -hmm. you have <laughs> it's that thing for me and that's what really got me exploring it that kind of feeling I was like there's so much more to this so I was just going to ask have you um ever read a journey of souls or destiny of souls no, but so weirdly, a friend of mine recommended that to me the other week. So the fact that you have as well means I obviously need to read it. So thank you. Yeah, you can read those two books. Um, Journey of Souls is the first book. Destiny of Souls is the second. Um, you know, you can also get them on Audible. But it's a hypnotherapist that, um, you know, he it's like years of case studies of uh, doing past life regression work with people, but he would regress people. His name's escaping me. I want to say, I think it's Michael Newton. I'll need to look that up. Um, but he would regress people to the time in between lives. And so, you know, he would take them to the moment of their last death and then the crossing over process and what happens after you cross over. And so he did this work, I think for like 30 years. And so he has all of these case studies, like, and there's so many, I came to his work much later, like one of my soul realignment clients, clients actually turned me on to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly like my experience in my dream. But of all of these case studies, there were so many similarities and he was able to kind of chart the process because, you know, people were giving in the same experience over and over and over again about crossing over and meeting with your guide. And you have to go through this like life review process. And did you learn what you were there to learn? And, you know, where did you fall short? And, you know, and he does talk about like how you have like soul contracts with other souls that you have known for many lifetimes that, Oh, you, you come together and serve each other sometimes as allies and companions and um, to support and empower one another and sometimes to challenge one another. And sometimes that, con that soul contract is different in each lifetime. Sometimes our greatest teachers or the people that challenge us the most are people that we actually have a contract with because that challenge facilitates a growth process that has to happen, mm -hmm. right? So... Um, I think you'll really like those books, but it, it gave reference to in a, in a really studied way, something that I had experienced personally. 
That's amazing. I'm definitely going to read those books because I just yeah. I, I find that as well. Like what you were saying about you know those um, all those case studies. It's mm-hmm. similar to the doctors who study people who've had near death experiences and yes. their experience of being in hospital and floating outside their body, like you said you did, and being yeah. able to see their body as if they were an outside person and watching a scene and then you know coming back into their body again when they didn't die and those you know like you say it's multiple 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 people have you know been logged with these exact experiences that are all so similar so you have to think there's something in that you know you can't also deny the data of it it's not just one person's story which is right exactly fascinating so let's talk about soul realignment because okay that's something that I have done with you. I mean, I did it. I was called to do it after my dad died, as you know. So that's quite an interesting, interesting yeah. time. And how do you explain what soul realignment is? And I'd love for you to also explain a bit about, you know, what makes up the soul. Because as in, you know, those different traits of people, I find that so fascinating. When I found out mine, it made up so much sense to me, you know, things like balance and harmony and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, ah. Yeah. Well, I work with stress, so that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so your yeah. work is in alignment. Soul realignment process and stuff. Yeah. So soul realignment, also not something I ever saw myself doing. Um, I actually have studied with a woman who's the founder of this work. Her name's Andrea Hess. I've studied with her for about six years. Um, and I, it's again... it just kind of found me and I actually just went through the training because I wanted to apply it to my own life. I had no desire to do it for other people. I just wanted to apply it. And it's really a study of, you know, it's kind of a reading through the Akashic records on your soul, but it's also a reading on your energy, on your energy body and looking at like what programs and patterns are running in the energy body. Now they could be created in the present life. They could be created in a past life but so realignment the reading is the readings that I do are two-part process the first part is really helping to understand what your soul is like what are the energies that make up your soul Um, we all come with very specific and unique gifts you know I say like a lot of people use words like source spirit god universe like I see that as all the same Uh, source is the word that I use because it's more neutral. Um, But source is where we all come from, right? It's what makes us all one. It is the creator of life. Uh, Whereas the soul is your, is source expressed through you. It's source manifested through you. It's your own unique individual expression of that. And the soul you know, like I said, we all have unique gifts that we're here to share. Now, some of those are based on your soul group. Um, Each soul group kind of brings different energies to humanity. Um, There are some that are more activist oriented. There are some that are more like beauty, order and art. Um, There are some that are more healers, right? So each soul group brings different energies. But then we also, if you think about like the chakra system, okay, souls have something kind of similar. We call them energy centers and there's eight of them. And the soul kind of, you know, we have access to all eight, but it's like, where does your soul reside the most? Um, And so based on the energy center, we call that your primary energy center that determines 
you know, the energies your most, your soul is most abundant in. Now those energies will manifest in either one of two ways. You either harness them proactively because your soul is so abundant in them, or they can show up in very dysfunctional ways. So there's always a, you know, a shadow side, right? Um, so when you live in alignment with your soul, you're living in alignment with source and that opens up the channel for source energy to come in. You know, we're energy beings that have to feed that energy. Like we need a source to nourish that energy. There's only two ways to do that. Your connection to source, I call that your vertical alignment, and you connect to that through living in alignment with your soul. Source is an unlimited supply of energy, right? It'll always bring you into wholeness. It's honoring the truth of who you are. It's like opening the faucet of divine energy, right? What you're not getting from source, you have to get from your environment. I call it the horizontal plane. And that's mainly other people. But it's also things like really temporary Band-Aids, food, drugs, sex, alcohol, you know, drama. You know, some people create a lot of drama in their lives because they actually need the energy from other people because they're so disconnected from themselves and from source. So to connect to source, you have to connect to yourself. You have to connect to your own soul. And the more you honor those gifts and giving them expression in your daily life, not just like in what you share with others, but also how you live your life, um, then, you know, you have less dependency on the external environment to feed you energetically because you're getting it from an infinite source. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. What are those, um, what are the different eight uh, types in, of energies within souls? Okay, so um, there's divine compassion, okay, um, which is somebody that's really grounded in being helpful in the physical world. These are often mothers, fathers, they raise children, they, help, they like to support community, they're teachers, um, like school teachers, they like to work with the earth. Um, so they're, you know, community is really important for them. So divine compassion, uh, divine creation. These are people that are really, um, souls that are really here to build something that lasts even after they're gone. Um, so actual buildings, real estate, businesses, books, like they're here to create something that will last. Um, divine order which is, um, you know, like you said, balance, order. It's a big one. It's balance, it's beauty, it's aesthetics, it's harmony. But it's harmony and balance in the environment with others in relationship dynamics and also with oneself, right? They're, I call them like the harmonizers, right? They like to harmonize the frequencies. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's divine love, uh, which is the healer. They're also experts at being in relationship. Um, and then there's uh, divine self-expression. These are the writers, the speakers, the teachers. Um, they're here to express their own personal, unique thoughts, ideas, and opinions. Uh, there's divine truth. Uh, divine truth people really help others to stand in their personal truth. They intuitively see the truth. I call them the human lie detectors. Um, they also don't lie very easily, right? <laughs> but people trust them. I call them like the other thing I call them is this trusted advisor. People trust them easily because 
they're so aligned with truth, right? But, but truth is different than wisdom. And I'll get to wisdom in a minute. Truth, divine truth is the truth of who you are. It's the truth of the soul. It's your personal truth. Okay. Uh, there is divine power. These are the leaders, the entrepreneurs. They're all about freedom. They want to, you know, and they want freedom of choice. They don't want any limitation. That's why they do well in entrepreneurship because that's ultimate freedom of choice. Like they hate being told what to do, right? <laughs> they just need to be free. Um, and then there's divine wisdom. And divine wisdom is really people that are very grounded in universal law. Uh, wisdom is universal. So this, they understand and operate from universal law. And it's also, and it's also something that they're really here to kind of help others with the challenge for divine wisdom people is that most of the world doesn't operate from universal law or understand it. So sometimes it's hard for them to find their tribe, but it's also what they're here to, to help others learn. I find all of those so fascinating because I mean, like you said, we did that and I was what divine self-expression and divine order or divine order first and divine self-expression. And I'm writing a book at the moment. So that makes so much sense to me. (laughs) And I've always, I think something that I like for people to think about as well is that I always knew I wanted to write a book when I, from having the start of say my spiritual awakening. And I always loved writing when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I just thought of books back then as only fiction novels, which was not something that I was good at. I was good at writing my feelings, really, essentially. And so back then, I didn't think I ever could be an author or would be an author. And that obviously changed so much as things evolved. So thinking about what your soul is kind of guiding you to very, like, gently or very aggressively. (laughs) Well, I say, you know, I say sometimes um, the soul will whisper, and it'll whisper, and it'll whisper. And if you're not getting it, it's just going to smack you upside the head. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But, you know, the challenge is, you know, where we live in a world that, if you think about, like, how we're raised as children in the school system and kind of the cultural, social family conditioning. I mean, I think it's, it, it's starting to be different with children that are being born in this, in this era. But I don't know about you, but for me, like we were not taught to honor our truth or to even explore what, what interests me because I wanted to be a writer too. My primary is divine self-expression. All I wanted to do was be a writer as a kid. But that was exactly the thing that was shut down because it was like, you're never going to make money doing that. You've got to take this business path, right? And so you're kind of like put in these little boxes about with well, you know, it's like good intentions. It's like, we want you to survive in the world. And we think this is the way that you'll survive, right? We're not taught to, hey, explore what brings you passion, you know, as kids. It's your, your path is kind of charted differently. So I have found that sometimes at least in my own experience and for a lot of the clients that I've worked with, our greatest gifts are often where we have the greatest wounding. And that gets to the second part of the reading, which is the blocks and restrictions. And we look and see what are the things that are blocking your ability to really access your gifts? 
blocking the flow of source energy coming in. Sometimes, and sometimes the soul is completely in hiding because of trauma or it knew it was coming into a really negative environment. So some, some souls are completely hidden and like almost like put away in a closet somewhere and the door's locked. And we've got to like clear blocks to just let the soul out, right? So sometimes, it, definitely in my experience, our greatest gifts are also where we have the greatest wounding. And so if you go back to the dark night experience, you know, some of the things that the, those wounds that get triggered for you to address, they're blocking you from being able to access your gifts, right? And so we look at what are those things in the reading some are past life, some may be present life that are blocking your ability to step in for the soul to really come forward. And I often use, you know, especially when I run into a situation where a soul is actually in hiding, and there's different strategies a soul can use. And ultimately it's because on some level it has been disempowered or it's afraid. I often use the analogy of like a soul, think of it like a shy, quiet child. It needs to feel safe to come to really blossom, right? And the best way for you to create that safety is through really loving yourself, creating a safe internal environment. You know, when we talked about holding space for all of it, like holding space for your messiness without judgment, but with a lot of self-compassion, forgiving yourself for the things that you beat yourself up, up about. It's like, the soul, that seed needs love. It needs empowerment. It needs nourishing. You, it's not just going to blossom if you're never feeding it, right? But your relationship with yourself and how you treat yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you care for yourself, how you respect yourself, all of those things create the right environment for that soul to really blossom. So I, I like to think of it like this shy child that needs a lot of love and care to be nurtured and often some healing work or that has to happen to look at what's, what's getting in the way here. Oh, I love that. Cause it's really, I, I just, I can't wait to talk to you about this actually, cause it's such an important topic, the idea of self-love at the moment, obviously online self-love has been thrown around all Instagram and every magazine under the sun for the past five years. And it's, kind of turn people off you know it's like yeah. self-love is such a it's become almost a tripe sort of commercial slogan as opposed to something that actually means something that can really help heal people so from yeah. a more healing and spiritual standpoint how do you define self-love and how can we actually practice that to help you know guide our soul into that space I'm really glad that you asked that question um because it is honestly it's the foundation of my work um but not in the way that you see it. Um, and I learned this through my dark night experience. Um, you know, and in fact, I wrote my master's thesis on it in grad school, that self-love is the key to your wholeness, your empowerment, and your healing. This is not massages and bubble baths and like, I'm going to just get rid of all the toxic people. Like, that's, no. Self-love is... You know, for me, when I was in that health crisis, I had to look at all of the ways in which I was at war with myself. I was mad at my body. Why wasn't it cooperating? My mind had an agenda. I had a plan, you know, I was mad at my body. 
I had a really harsh inner critic that I, I carried a lot of shame about the early abuse. Um, I, I had felt like I should be more, be different, be better, have a, you know, I had all of these kind of rigid ways of thinking about where I should be in my life. I had very high standards and expectations for myself. I was a, I say I'm a recovering overachiever perfectionist, you know, because that's where all of my self-worth and I realized in that dark night process that my self-worth was tied up in two things. How, my, how many people need me? How invaluable I make myself to other people, right? And how much I achieve. And so in that process, you know, your self-worth, it's all, if it's dependent on all these things, these things outside of you, it's always on the line. It's always at risk. And so I had to forgive myself. I remember what really turned the the turning point in my healing process. I was about a year and a half in and I had come back about 50%, but I kind of plateaued and I was just stuck at this place where I couldn't get better. Right. And I started sitting with myself and I was realizing how much I had self, I was carrying self-loathing and I was listening to that voice in my head, how much my energy was at war with itself. My mind was at war with itself. And so I did this daily practice. I learned it from my very first coach, um, Holy Carr. She taught me the self-forgiveness practice and you put both hands on your heart, one over the other. And you say three forgiveness statements followed by three truth statements. And so I went through this process every night for nine months. You say forgiveness statements to yourself and then truth to yourself. yourself. Yes. So, and I would say things like, I forgive myself for all the times and all the ways I've beaten myself up for not being perfect, for not being good enough. I forgive myself for all the times and all the ways I disrespected myself by not holding appropriate boundaries. Forgive myself for all the times and all the ways I've judged myself for, for, you know, fill in the blank. Right. Um, And then the truth is I'm healing, learning and growing every day. The truth is I did the best I could in each moment. I'm learning more and I will continue to learn. The truth is, I'm choosing to love myself now and I'm choosing to forgive myself and that's enough. Right. And so, and I would just kind of go backwards through my life and I, you know, every night I would find new things to forgive myself for. It might be something that happened that day. It might be something from the past. It might be, you know, releasing shame. It might be um, anger toward my body. You know, I forgive my, I forgive myself for judging my body and it's healing process. And that was a massive turning point because my energy stopped being divided. My mind stopped being at war with itself. And I kind of came home to myself and literally every night I would do this. I would just cry and cry. It was like coming home to myself. And so, um, you know, then I started kind of practicing more self-compassion, like understanding when the critics coming online, I would go into, again, both hands on my heart. It's okay. You know, you're human. You're going to make mistakes. You know, Uh, it's okay. You're learning as long as you learn. Like I would just start to change the dialogue with myself. Um, 
I would start to write down all the reasons why I could believe in myself. I would start to um, listen to the wounded parts of myself that had something to say. We talked before about like how we want to turn away from difficult emotions or these parts that we don't lurk want to look at. And I started really working with my wounded inner child. And so I would also have these experiences, very regular practice as well during this time where I would kind of close my eyes and I would imagine this younger part of myself. She was usually five years old and I'd, ha- and I'd imagine this five-year-old self sitting on my lap and I would ask her how she's feeling and I would ask her what she needs from me. And I would start to tell her all the things that she needed to hear, you know, that she is loved and that she matters. And I'm sorry that you were treated this way. That wasn't fair. So when working with these wounded parts of the self, number one, or any kind of part of the self that even like the perfectionist or the people pleaser, these parts that kind of have these patterns that were like, I don't like that. I want to get rid of that or this inner set, like I had, a sabot- I had this part of me that would sabotage things. So a couple things are really important for healing these, you know, and this is ultimate self-love is one, you have to acknowledge what's there, but not judge it. No judgment. And always hold the assumption that whatever pattern is playing out or whatever, however that wounding is acting out, that like my, when my wounded inner child would act out, I would always hold, she's trying to help me in the only way she knows how. Intention is good, strategy is not working. So re- re-educating her. Okay, I know you're trying to help and I know you're hurting and acknowledging her pain and just holding space for it. And can we try something different, right? Can we try, you know, you just give me an opportunity to try this approach. You know, hiding from the world isn't helping anymore. What if we invite people that are safe into our lives, right? So it's like really having compassion for the things that we don't like about ourselves. You know, this, I call self-love a spiritual practice. It is, you know, it's a shadow work process, but it's also how we heal. So it's like healing those little divides within ourself and giving those wounds an opportunity to be loved, be healed, be heard. And often that alone starts, starts to move the energy. That makes sense? Totally. I love that you say that self-love is a spiritual practice. I think that's yeah. such an important thing to people to realize that it's not <laughs> bubble baths and affirmations like you say. It's really looking deeply at where you need to see what shadows you need to see what you know child inner child um things are coming up that you know you may be neglecting i actually right. remember um after well during like when my dad was depressed before he died for those years after my sister died we sort of swapped roles in the sense that i became the more parenting caring energy mm-hmm. towards that i just wanted him to be better and yeah. you know had that sort of shift and so i had to do some inner child work after he died to get back into that more 
playful state and do things that I hadn't been doing, like dancing every day in my living room, which I grew up loving. Like I danced till I was yes. 18 and you know, all those things. But you realize I'd been suppressing without realizing just because I was in that, I need to fix him. I have to look after him. What's going to happen kind of state. And I think yeah. people don't realize how easily those things that bring you so much joy can fall off the sort of bandwagon in those emotional states of trauma and things like that. Yeah, that was my experience as well. The first thing I remember, the first thing, because I, I always asked, what do you need from me? And I would make agreements with these wounded parts. And she always wanted to dance. She always, she's like, we used to dance. I want to go play. I want to go have fun. You've been like on this healing journey and I just want to have fun. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I would make, I'd say, okay, we're going to go dance on Saturday. Will that make you happy? And then, and then this was, this is a very important thing. When you make agreements with the with these parts of the self, you have to honor those agreements. And so then I would go dance. And the more I would listen to what that wounded little girl, that little girl in me was needing, and I honored it, the more she started to trust me. And then I started to cultivate greater trust in myself. Because, you know, at first, when I first made contact with her, she didn't trust me at all. She's like, you abandoned me. Like, why do I think you're going to listen now? I had to earn her trust back, right? And I did that by, what do you need? And then giving and then honoring her needs. Because that's the, you know, we, we hear a lot about the wounded child, but the other side of that, you start healing the wounded child, she has gifts too. It's like, she has play and creativity and joy and wonderment and magic and like those are beautiful things that we all need in our lives, right? There's this process, like when I studied in grad school, have you ever heard of psychosynthesis? Okay. So, and I talk about like when a trauma happens, there's the wound that gets kind of stored in the subconscious and kind of becomes a driver in your life. But often what splits off is a gift mm -hmm. and the gift gets kind of hidden in the superconscious. And so when you heal and the key it, it, in the psychosynthesis model, and, I, and I'm a firm believer of this, the key to healing anything is an empathic center of connection. This is why we go to healers or therapists. That the therapist, that healer, coach, whatever, provides that empathic center of connection. And then the goal is for you to be able to start to hold that for yourself. And I think that that's really the core of self-love is being able to hold space for all of it, that empathic center of connection for yourself. It all gets to be okay. And once you can see, hear, understand, empathize with yourself or the wounded part, that then the wounding heals and you reclaim a gift. It's like these things that got fragmented come together, right? And so um, I have found that more of the joy and the magic and all of these things like if I honored her more of that would come online for me even in the dark night I could have these moments of play and wonderment and uh, dance fun I love that because it's just so true isn't it that the play and the wonderment and it's so mm -hmm. important to bring those in even in the dark moments I always laugh at the fact that um I was telling someone this and they were like, who what? <laughs> I remember laughing 
um, on the day of my dad's funeral. And I laughed on the day that he died, not about his death at all, but with my sister and my mum at something to do with what he'd said in hospital that we found so funny or something to do with something at the funeral. And I think it's so important to allow space for both those sides of us. Like you say, like we don't have to be guilty for bringing happiness into the darkness and we don't have to feel guilty for bringing darkness into our happiness and allowing it to be processed right hold space for all of it it's all part of the human journey right and I always talk about like you know we can't experience um you know I think about like emotions as like a a scale or like a band um where a lot of people when they first come to me to work with me, they're feeling numb. And it's because they've tried to minimize the joy. I'm sorry. They're trying to minimize the grief and the pain and the loss and the sadness. But what happens is you minimize the, your access to the joy and the love and the bliss and the laughter as well. And so it's like a spectrum. And so you can't just, it, it, it opens or closes in equal measure. And so if you try to shut down one side, you're shutting down the other. And so the more you allow yourself to experience the grief and the loss, you also experience the joy and the bliss and the love. It's like, why not experience all of it? Yeah, I love that. It opens up your capacity to have a greater ability in both the more you do like the darker side as well. And the full human experience. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So to finish, I'm going to ask you two final questions that I ask everyone. Um, okay. It's been the most amazing conversation. I've just loved everywhere we've been. It's been so great. <laughs> Thank you. So first of all, what does spirituality personally mean to you? Oh, what does spirituality mean to me? Um, I think that spirituality, you know, for me, it's a very um, personal thing. I I don't think that I don't buy into like I believe in God and I believe in like I don't follow any particular dogma or spiritual tradition personally. For me, it's between me and my soul and me and source or creator, me and my guides. It's my unique individual connection with a higher power. And um, and that higher power, that source that is within me. So for me, it's very personal in that way. And then the spiritual practices are the things that bring me into that wholeness, that connection to my own soul and to source, where I I feel like I'm tapping into greater light, greater grace, greater healing, uh, greater creativity. So it's like, how do I open that channel? And how do I honor those energies in my life? how do I honor the source expressed through me, through the soul? So for me, it's very personal. I have never been one to follow. Although as a kid, I always wanted to go to church. I don't know. My family never wanted to go to church. I just wanted to talk to God. Um, so <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but um, I've never, but I've re- never really followed. I've studied a lot of traditions from Christianity to Buddhism to um you know, Native American traditions, but um, for me, it's it's that personal connection. Mm, I totally greater. agree with that, and I love the way you said honoring that because that's that's such an important word. I think for it, like honoring that personal connection. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to finish, how what do you think we can do to make our lives so that we can become unstressable? 
Well, I think that the number one thing that I think we all need is to connect to the heart. Through your heart is where you're going to access your own soul. Um, we need more heart connection in this world. Um, we, a lot of people tend to live very much in the mind and often there's a disconnection. And sometimes that disconnection is the soul is in hiding. Sometimes that disconnection is even connected to trauma or just unprocessed emotional energy that we kind of, a lot of people, and I, and I had this as well, would kind of stick a lot of these unprocessed emotions around the heart as a barrier of protection, right? And so anything that's going to connect you to your heart um, you know, I, you know, whenever I get stressed and I feel kind of myself get scattered or unbalanced or I'm kind of anxious or something, the first thing I do is I put one hand on my heart, I put one hand on my lower belly. And I'm really trying to activate the emotional brain, the gut brain gut center of my gut instincts and my heart brain, which is where the wisdom of my higher self and soul comes in. And so I imagine the energy draining out of my head and into my body. And I just breathe into my hands and I bring all of my presence and awareness into these two energy centers. And I connect to my heart. And if I'm struggling, um, I will then start to think about somebody or something that I love or something I love to do, anything to connect me to that frequency of love. It can be, I have like these go-to memories. I have like a data bank of go-to memories that are like just blissful moments or great love or, um, you know, great joy. Or, and so I'll connect to those memories and it regulates my energy. It calms my nervous system and it centers me. And in fact, when I'm, I started doing this just over the last year, every time before I do an energy psychology session with somebody, I do this to anchor their energy. And I'm finding we have a lot less, because um, one of the things I always test for is, are there energetic imbalances? And I find a lot less imbalances if we just take five minutes and sink to the heart, sink into the body, sink into the gut you know, really tuning into these, because these are two energy centers that are really um, part of your intuitive system as well. That's I love kind of, that. I love that so yeah. much. I think it's it's so important for everyone to get into their heart space. And I mean, even actually, I think it was a study from Harvard showed that when, when people do um, connect with their heart, just, you know, by noticing mm -hmm. it and breathing and asking questions in that space, their stress reduces and it's just, it yeah. is so, so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. And thank yeah. you so much for sharing your story and many stories today. It's been so, so incredible to hear. And you're such an amazing soul and having overcome it all. And thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us today. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the honor to, opportunity to be here and to see you and uh, share, share my stories. Yeah. So if anyone wants to, um, you know, do some work with Michelle on all the mad things we've been talking about today, they might think, you know, I have no idea what this is. I want to explore it. I'll put all her information in the show notes and you can okay. have a look at her website and get in contact with her. So thank you yes. so much. Yes. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the amazing Michelle. Her story is really an inspiring one and 
You can find all the information you need on her if you want to work with her in the show notes. And it was also an amazing discussion on spirituality and just really diving into that in a deep way. So I hope you found it as interesting as I did. If you did enjoy the episode, then please tag us in your stories, share, and we would love to hear from you. I will see you next time with another amazing guest to help you become unstressable. Unstressable.